0: Welcome to the Just Go Grind podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the director of marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital and founder of Just Go Grind, a podcast, community, and newsletter founders. On today's episode, we have Dan Schaefer, co-founder of Native Pet, a company that is redefining pet supplements by harnessing the nutritional power of whole food ingredients to deliver organic, highly effective, and limited ingredient treats, supplements, and chews. And They recently raised a $6 million Series A earlier in 2022. Lots to talk about in this episode. We dive into a lot of different details. Let's get to it. Welcome to the show, Dan.
1: Thanks. Great to be here.
0: I am excited to talk all about your company, all about Native Pet. There's so much that we could go through, but for people who aren't familiar with Native Pet, what do you do with this company?
1: Native Pet is a clean label, highly effective brand of pet supplements to help keep your dogs and cats healthy and happy.
0: There is... This industry seems to be exploding uh, just from like my friends and personal anecdotes from people and how they treat their pets. We'll get into that eventually, but I'm curious on how this got started in the first place, Dan.
1: Yeah. So um, I, I, we founded this business in 2017. Um, it was myself and then my co-founder, Pat Barron. Uh, we grew up together in St. Louis. We've been long, longtime time friends. And so for years we had been trying to find you know, what the right entrepreneurial journey would be for us. We had both spent a number of years in, in investment banking or banking and, and strategy consulting. And so we had both done a variety of different things in fin- finance and strategy. Pat is more interesting than me. He had also had like a brief, uh, you know, six month time frame where he was a farmer. And so, uh, but I think we've always had the entrepreneurial itch. And so we had, you know, talked about a lot of different businesses. We had tried a few things. But the journey with native pets specifically really started when I was in uh, school in Ann Arbor business school, 2014, I adopted my dog, Louie, and he came to us just in terrible shape, uh, malnourished. He had he had worms, he had fleas, just everything. Uh, he was a 10, 10-week-old puppy. And so, you know, that was my first kind of pet parenting moment. And I won't say we like rushed out and bought him a bunch of supplements, but we just kind of went head first into this world of, you know, kind of specialty nutrition and wellness and everything that goes into pet parenting. And and that's what started, started the journey. And it was years later from there. But I think just being a pet parent, kind of experiencing the pain points, understanding, you know, everything that goes into nutrition and taking care of your dog, we just saw a lot of opportunity. So 2017, you know, Pat and I finally aligned on what our entrepreneurial vision was. And that's what Native Pet became.
0: Okay. Because the show is for other founders and entrepreneurs, we will get into Native Pet in one second. But you mentioned you you try a bunch of other ventures or thought about a bunch of other ventures. Just tell me through really quick, like what you were thinking about before and then how you landed on this company, because that's so much, so many times that that's the struggle, like which business to pursue, a lot of good ideas out there. Just tell me through your journey with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, we had talked about Pat and I've been talking for years. So, you can only imagine just the <laughs> like ideas that have been thrown around over the years and, you know, so our graveyard of business ideas is actually pretty vast. Um yeah. from an idea perspective, things that we've actually tried. Um we, you know, we we wanted to make a product in the outdoor space. We both love yep. spending time outdoors. You know, we had tried to make kind of the Yeti of storage containers at one point. You know, we got into the industrial design process there. We're also big Tim. You know, we were big Tim Ferris fans yeah. back in the day, four hour work week. Of so course. we've sold some white label products on Amazon. Like we've done a bit of it all. Um, and you know, I think fortunately, none of those ideas worked. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you got to fail uh, before you can fly. And so we have a few kind of like failed business ideas in our past, um, but learned a lot. And ultimately, like everything was just kind of a stepping stone to where we are today.
0: It's funny you mentioned that because I, I talked to my, my friends, Laura and Arya. they're both entrepreneurs, both have started multiple companies. And every time we hang out, it's just like, so what ideas do you have? What other business ideas do you have? What are we building? It's like. You all have companies already. Like you're good. I'm at a venture firm. Like we're good. But like you can't help it. You're just like always thinking of some other ideas, just just in case there's something else out there. Uh, you always. And, build.
1: <laughs> and are you really an entrepreneur if like you've tried something that hasn't worked? Like that's <laughs> kind of just part of the process. Like very few exactly. people. It's like first business, first idea became my you know hundred million dollar brand. That's like you know I'm sure that that happens. But most of the time there's a graveyard behind of things that didn't work out quite the way you wanted them to.
0: Well, to that point then for native pets, so, you know, you had this, uh, the pet issue 2014, this started in 2017. There's a gap of time there. You didn't start right away. What was it about this idea? I mean, was it like, Oh, you saw market potential with a tied to a personal need? Like just take me through more of like evaluating the idea to actually be like, dude, like We're doing this one. This is the one we're doing.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, it was, I was in my first year of business school when we adopted Louie yeah. Um Pat was in grad school. So, you know, and I I didn't go to business school thinking I wanted to be a CPG founder. That was like way off my radar. Yeah. I was coming from the capital market, so I was in like a sales and trading world. It was twenty fourteen. Bitcoin was brand new. I really wanted to work in fintech. Like that was like the exciting thing at the time. And CPG was not on my radar at all. And so, you know, I truly thought you know, was just going through being a pet parent and like gaining yeah. experience, raising a dog and taking care of a dog and feeding a dog and everything that goes into it, vet visits and shots. And and so, you know, it didn't start out as a business idea. And then at, you know, meanwhile, we're brainstorming all these other crazy ideas and, you know, I'm, you know, I haven't connected the dots yet, right? And so then um, I went to go work for the Boston Consulting Group after school, and then kind of through the grapevine ended up in our consumer products consumer practice not necessarily cpg but i did a lot of like auto work or heavy equipment but with a consumer end to it yeah and then ended up doing consumer work and so you know it wasn't until 2017 did i say like wow you know a lot of the pain points that i'm feeling in, in pet i think would be a ubiquitous in the category And B, you know, the pet category is a huge category and there is a lot of opportunity here. And then C, you know, how fun would it be to get to work in the pet space? I'm a huge dog lover. I like was a, you know, the, literally the stereotypical millennial pet parent where we, (laughs) my wife and I had adopted our dog before we had kids. I was like all of the cliches, right? And so how fun would it be for this to be the way we spend our time how rewarding how valuable and then it was just you know what is our angle like how do we make something that's meaningful that we get value and then we provide value to the market and you know that process took a bit of time but where we landed and and what we're doing every day is you know easily the most rewarding thing i've ever done professionally for a variety of reasons and i know pat feels the same way
0: there's a few different components obviously you talk about cpg there's this massive component of the product and having an amazing product. And then there is this distribution, which ties kind of into brand, which may be a third thing, but those are the kind of main components. I want to start with the product first. How did you think about and go about developing the product when you launched? And this is again, years ago. And then how has it evolved? I guess I want to start with the launch of like the product itself and that side of things for other CPG founders who are like, how do I even begin this process? Take me through the product side.
1: Yeah. I mean, PET is so unique because you're not the ultimate end user of the product. So I think the attractive thing about food or Bev or Alk or whatever it is, is that it's all things that you eat, drink, experience. So your personal preferences will play a big role into what you believe is a good product or a good opportunity. It's not necessarily the same in pet. Um, With that said, you know, it's still a lot of the same excitement of delivering something that is gonna add value delivering something that's different, delivering something that solves problems. And that's what gets Pat and I up at night is the product side. And it's our favorite part of running the business. And I don't wanna to take too much credit. Like Pat is absolutely the brains behind all of our product and he's just crushed it. And so we have created a differentiated offering for the category and we take a lot of pride in that. And so when we were looking at the space and you know we knew we wanted to do functional foods, something that was like around the bowl, Which is a tagline that we've trademarked, which is all the stuff you feed your dog outside of the main meal, what goes into the bowl, you know, any toppers, supplements, and when we looked at the space, um, the category was just starting to blow up, and we kept noticing that all of the brands in our space were all selling this product called the soft chew, and we were kind of like, well, what's the soft chew? And it turns out it's just a like cold extruded product, which is just bunch of starches that have been pressurized and gelatinized and then it becomes very uniform and very easy to eat and we were like why is every product in our category almost every product in this category in the soft chew and we did some research it wasn't because the customer loved it it wasn't because um it dogs loved it it was literally because it was convention that's where there was manufacturing capacity and the same subset of a few co-manufacturers were making products for everybody in our space with very little product differentiation, yet there was no affinities from humans or dogs. And so we immediately said, like, from a product standpoint, this is our opportunity. How can we make a better soft chew that humans are gonna love, that dogs are gonna love, and was gonna be a fundamentally better product? And so, you know, this was 2019. So we'd been in market for a little bit with a few products, This is the point where Pat and I quit our jobs, raised a little bit of capital, and like really dove in full-time on on turning this into what we believe can be a $100 million business. And so we looked at the space and said, okay, we're not going to make a cold extruded product. Like That is one of our brand promises. We're gonna find a better way. And so we have some products in oils, some products in powders, which are just kind of like fundamentally clean label, easy to use. And then our big product innovation was what we called the air-dried chew. And we've essentially been able to cut the inactive ingredients out of our product, out of the soft chew, and use chicken as the base. And so we have an average soft chew has 12 inactive ingredients. Our product has five. And the, the number one inactive is chicken. And so when customers feel our product, it looks more like food because it's chicken. But it has yeah. all of the benefits that a soft chew might have. And so it just feels more food food grade. It feels more natural, and it's just as effective. And it's it's been kind of the the north star for our product innovation.
0: I've talked to a number of other CPG founders, some even in a similar category of of pet. I love to dive in details. Like okay, you want to build this company, native pet. You know you want to do a better version. You see what's out there in the market. It's a market research what do you do? Do you just start Googling stuff? Did you have people to talk to? Like, Take me through that process of figuring out how you could actually make this product.
1: Well, I mean, it it all started, you know, it's just so much research. We spent so much time going to pet stores and just asking questions like, you know, the beauty of there's all these independent pet stores with Mm -hmm. these incredibly well-educated, you know, kind of they're not salespeople, but just the people that work in stores at independent pet are extremely educated in which brands and why, and, and in yeah. certain instances, they they know more about nutrition than vets, because which is crazy. But they <laughs> spend all day reading about pet food and pet supplements, right? And so, we just went and talked to people: what products were moving, what products were selling, why does it move, why does it sell, in all categories. Mm-hmm. And we just started test kitchening, like in our kitchens. Um, just we, we made, we've made the first prototype of all of our products and specifically the air dried chew. We spent two or three months just perfecting it in our kitchen with little dehydrators and dryers and ovens and all this stuff in our kitchen. And that was the first step. And then the, you know, the next step is then finding a manufacturer who can replicate or upgrade your process. And that's where it gets really
0: hard. (laughs) Okay. I want to get to that part in one second, but with the test kitchen, everything so did you get a vet early on to like commit to helping you guys as an advisor as like a co-founder as an employee like take me through that side of things
1: yeah yes and no i mean we spent you know nutrition is a is a little bit of a gap in expertise very similar with humans you know doctors Mm -hmm. don't have to take any nutrition classes to become a medical doctor it's the same in the vet category it's very Mm -hmm. pharmacology focused right you know you go, you know, internal medicine, pharmacology, there's a clear path for vets that doesn't necessarily require them to study nutrition and the impacts of food and natural ingredients and et cetera. Yeah. Many vets are well-versed in that. I'm not saying that they aren't. Many are, but it's it's information that they've pursued on their own time. And so we spend a lot of time reading white papers. Um, you know, one thing that the pet industry has is there is good research. On the active ingredients so yeah. we were you know reading white papers studying ingredients you know That's trying to do as much as we could on our own we were all absolutely on a budget right so we we, we did end up working with a board certified vet nutritionist once we got through the prototype stage and what they help us with is in our kind of anti-inflammatory project like how much green lip muscle do you need what's the appropriate dose then there's the manufacturing side, which how do we get these active ingredients that drive the supplement? How do we get them mixed with inactive ingredients and processed so that your dog will eat it without killing off any of the efficacy of the actives, right? And so there's a it's a it's a very complex R&D process. Um, we can't try and sample and 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 then once you get through all that, there's the palatability test at the end, which is I'm going to put this in front of a 12 year old dog who maybe is starting to lose their teeth or doesn't like to eat their kibble and how do you get them to eat this product? And that, that you know, those were all problems we had to solve along the journey.
0: Wait, so in that test kitchen, you're playing around with it to see like how it all comes together and all like different ingredients, researching that different temperatures
1: that's texture, what i'm saying yeah oh, man. yeah oh,
0: so many yeah. things to go with that and then do you just like hey we split tests we have two dogs what did they both like it like, just tell me through more like i'm so well, here's the
1: problem like pat was like, <laughs> we were in different cities and so like oh really my bat yeah like i would i would have a batch and pat would have a batch and then my dog louie is a is a lab and uh-huh. he's a terrible taste tester because he'll literally eat anything <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah, you only knew if it was like really bad because louis would need it but that i i don't know that that ever happened like he'll still eat the trash you know and so um you know we'd have to find random dogs and then you're just like the weird guy like with homemade dog treats at the dog you know what i mean is it, mm-hmm. it was a weird time uh but we got through it and we we felt really good about where r&d landed and then we moved on to this phase of like okay how do we manufacture this
0: Let's get into that then the manufacturing side of it. You got something you liked you have like, okay, we think we have the product somewhat figured out, but manufacturing and especially getting some level of scale, what did that look like for you? How'd you approach that?
1: It was really hard. That I mean, that's where, you know, honestly for us, like that's where we spent most of the time in R and D was finding the right partner. Hmm. And there's so much that goes into co-manufacturer selection and finding the right partner at that size. Um, It's equipment, right? Do they have the right equipment? Are they big enough to scale if the business takes off? And then there's some intangible things. Um, Are they, you know, are they excited about entrepreneurship? Do they want to help support small brands? Do they see your vision? Do they believe you're going to be a big brand down the road? Are they going to be patient enough to work on a more custom product? Um, do they want to invest alongside you? You know, there's so many things that you have to consider. And honestly, we didn't know any of that. Neither of us had done anything in manufacturing before. It was absolutely the steepest learning curve. Uh, just kind of partner selection. It's like, it's all the worst parts about fundraising, right? You got to like sell this co-manufacturer on your vision. Then there's a lot of technical requirements that you have to hit. There's quality programs, there's packaging, there's so much that goes into it it turned into a massive exercise for us. And it took every bit of 18 months to get to a good place on the manufacturing side.
0: Was there anything, because you went through that, you went from zero to obviously doing it. Anything that was helpful in terms of questions you need to ask them, like like research or diligence you need to do on them? Because I'm always just thinking of other founders who are going through something like this this process. Anything that was helpful for you, Dan?
1: I think spending a lot of time upfront and treating it as you would any investor or like sales pitch. Ultimately, yeah. the co-manufacturer, if, if they're if they believe in the business, like really believe in what you're trying to do, and believe you're going to be a twenty million dollar client for them in five years, the way they behave will be totally different. And yeah. I think, and, I, and honestly, I, I think you know we we've we've landed on some good manufacturers. Um, I think that's the part we we didn't do enough of up front. Was, hey, we need to sell them. Like they need to believe. If, if they believe we're just going to be some small ankle biting nuisance, <laughs> yeah, you know they will treat us differently. And I think treating your co-manufacturers like you would any other partner and sell them on the vision and where this is going and why they should believe. And I think doing that um, will really help forge a long term relationship.
0: So you said the better part of eighteen months to get to a good point with all of this, uh, but having product and not having in the hands of anyone is kind of pointless. So how did you go through the distribution side of things, uh, marketing? Was it like getting the shelves? Like tell me the that side of things with Native Pet.
1: Yeah, so the, just to be clear, these are the air dried shoes that took this long. You know, yep. we had other products that were in powder formats or oil um, mm-hmm. that we were able to get to market faster. And yeah. so, I think the challenging thing for us is all of our products are great. And so, like, you know, we built the, the brand on efficacy, um, having a cleaner label and making the products taste great. Like, when we talked about the brand originally, those were like what our products needed to, to fit into. Yeah. And for like the powders and oils, while, you know, less innovative in terms of originality, they're still extremely different for the pet category and they fit our brand extremely well they were effective by nature you know our probiotic powder has four ingredients they're clean label and dogs still love the taste we still found ways to work in whole food ingredients and in almost every case all of our products are at a higher ingredient in manufacturing standard than almost any other product in the pet category right you know Human grade bone broth or whatever it is that sets our products apart. Like there, so yeah. we we were able to get some easier R and D products into the category early, and so we were able to start selling and building our brand because we were confident that they fit in with that kind of product innovation story we wanted to tell. The air dried shoes were just you know a much bigger exercise and are more differentiated and unique and harder to replicate, and yeah. so you know we got those in market in early twenty twenty one. But we were still able to lay the foundation of the brand, start selling, building relationships with customers, and kind of building the foundation of the business.
0: Was that always the the plan for it? Like you knew you're going to start with the powders and other stuff first, and then you're going to branch into something more innovative that took a little more time, or was it just kind of an evolution of okay, what else can we do next?
1: I think we thought the air dry shoes were going to take considerably less time. <laughs> so, okay. but. You know, certain products are just like fundamentally better in powder. For example, um, our probiotic powder, we're able to use a a more effective blend of probiotics by leaving it in a powder rather than putting it into a chew, just because probiotics are really, really sensitive. So that product was actually more effective in stain with a powder. Same with our our pumpkin puree, which is, you know, the best selling pumpkin fiber or one of the best selling pumpkin or fiber supplements on Amazon. It it just makes sense that it's in a powder. It's cheaper to ship. It lasts longer. um, it's it's a better experience to have that in a powder. And so there are certain products that just made more sense. But, you know, we thought air dried shoes were going to take six months from when the prototype was ready and it took much, much longer. So (laughs) I would say I, I think we were going to, we thought everything was going to come into market more all at once. It, it didn't end up being the case.
0: So then you launched your first product in 2017, 2018, 2017, yep.
1: 2017.
0: And then with that, was it, I mean, I was in e-commerce at that time. So I know the, uh, how, how crazy Instagram, Facebook ads, et cetera, have gotten in terms of price at this point, but were you launching with uh paid ads like that? Were you doing, uh, Amazon sales? Like take me through the distribution side of things.
1: We, we started on Amazon. so. Nice. Um, you know, we've kind of made a habit of like zigging when other people are zagging, um, sometimes on purpose, sometimes on accident, <laughs> to be very, very, very clear. But in this instance, um, it's just started as an Amazon brand and everybody was, you know, rushing into Instagram and, and Facebook ads. And we didn't really have any expertise there. And honestly, we didn't have the bandwidth to do that. That's really capital and personnel dependent. Whereas yeah. Amazon was something, you know, we were still moonlighting, like this was a nights and weekends business at that point, right? And yeah. so that was something that we could learn. You know, they do all the fulfillment. There's a, you know, self-service platform. And we we were able to teach ourselves how to do Amazon in a really capital efficient way. And, we're, you know, it ended up being absolutely the right step for our business. You know, the Amazon is the dominant Amazon and Chewy are the two dominant player like retailers in our space. And so we, you know, we were lucky to build some expertise in Amazon in 2017 when it was less competitive than it is today. And it served as the foundation for the business going forward.
0: How did that evolve then in terms of going from Amazon to, because obviously if you're an Amazon, you don't own the customer relationship the same because like the emails and all that sort of thing as opposed to having your, your own store as much.
1: Amazon's, you know, has its frustrating points and you definitely wish you had more data, but the flip side is it has all these customers, right? Of course. And by succeeding on the platform, you know, you obviously sell products through advertising, but then there's kind of like, they have an aisle, which is where you're ranked organically on, on search pages. That's an aisle, that's people browsing. Yeah. And so what you're paying for, what you're giving up in data, you're gaining in aisle shoppers. And you don't get aisle shoppers on your D2C site. Right. Um, and so that's one of the advantages of Amazon is all the organic traffic they bring you if you can get your products to rank for the right search terms and et cetera. So we we've learned that game very well. We're not the best. Like there's been some big brands in our category who've done amazingly well on Amazon. And so, you know, we've done very well on Amazon. I think what we've done differently is it's hard to build a brand if you're only focused on Amazon. Yeah. And so we, you know, we went the venture capital route because we saw the opportunity in the category is not to be the fifth or seventh or 10th Amazon pet supplements brand. We <laughs> yeah. saw the opportunity as the first omni-channel pet supplements brand. And we felt like we were uniquely positioned to do that because we had the product differentiation story. And if we could build the brand story and have an audience and have a group of customers and have content, and you know, kind of build that brand, that we'd be uniquely positioned to succeed in the category. And I think we're just at the precipice of starting to see that vision come to life on the brand side. And we've worked on a ton of really exciting new brand initiatives and building a social media following, building a YouTube uh, a YouTube channel. You know, yeah. TikTok's our biggest media our media presence. So like, we've just worked on a ton of cool stuff. A lot of our peers have not chosen to go that route. And so again, like it's just something that we've done differently to help us stand out and break through the noise in the category.
0: I want to go back to that theme that seems to be coming up here of, of zigging when people are zagging, going a different way, doing something. Is that always just been how you guys have thought about things? Does that go back to, I don't know, invest in banking times, consulting times or whatever? Like what, why, why that? I'm curious.
1: Definitely not. I mean, I think, you know, I, you know, I'll take that back. So I think consulting does teach you to think differently and challenge norms and um, maybe not as much banking, but I think our both of our time as consultants, I think, has taught us to question things, challenge things, think outside the box. But I think Pat and I just like both naturally lean in that we don't necessarily see the world the same as other people and we tend to be like contrarian at times or have a unique point of view or rose colored glasses or whatever it is. And so I think there are times when, you know, following the leader is right. But I think more often than not, forging your own path and using first principle thinking to say, what is the right step for us here? You know, how, like, what is the right step for Native Pet? And not just rely on a playbook or something that other brands have already done. And sometimes the playbook for Native Pet looks similar to what other people have done. More often than not, it's actually been totally different. And being able to take a step back and make that decision and, and you know, have our team become first principle thinkers about what's right for us has has led us to do things differently. And we're really proud of that. And we think it's a big reason why we've been successful.
0: One thing as you mentioned too, going back to it's kind of switching from Amazon Amazon's a starting point, which you can get a lot of traction on Amazon for sure. Use those sales to do other things on the content hiring, et cetera. So there's definitely a lot of value in that. But going from that to being like, all right, we're gonna raise venture capital. You raised a six million dollar series A. I don't know if you've raised before that, but you want to raise venture capital. That's a much different route you're going. You're signing up for something different. Take me through that, like what that meant for you and at what point in the business you were at, where you're like, yeah, now is the time, versus like six months ago, a year before that, like why at that timing, you know?
1: We we have raised eight total, so we had raised okay. in two tranches before the Series A, gotcha. and I, I. This is another example. Like people just, you know, they want to paint you as either a bootstrapper or a venture backed, and like sure. treat it as like this this binary choice, and <laughs> yeah. and, and and you know. Like I kind of call like on both ends of the spectrum, you got like, you know, I call it the bootstrap porn where you hear yeah. about like, you know, the, the one founder that was able to scale their business to 100 million. You don't hear the 99 that, you know, ran out of money or didn't grow, yeah. right? Like that's the one angle. But then there's also the, the people who like think raising capital is a home run and, you know the fact that you closed around the capital means your business is definitely going to succeed. And like right. there's, and the but really there's tons of stuff in between. Right. And so for us, um, you know, Pat and I are both married with kids. Um, Pat didn't have kids when we started the business out, you know, I was a dad, I was leaving a very stable career and you know, so like part, and, and we wanted to do R and D, you know, it's hard to bootstrap when you have an 18 month R and D cycle and I needed to make money. Right. You know, I, you yeah. know, I, we could my family we couldn't afford to not make money for two years while we bootstrapped. and some people can do that. And I've heard some crazy stories about what founders have done, and I have nothing but respect for for people who bootstrap. But for us, it wasn't the right call just because we we wanted to be able to scale this business without like taking massive sacrifices on the family side. Um, yeah. and you know we needed Thank to make you. a little money. So we said, you know, and also we believed that there this had venture private equity scale returns we said yeah. capital is the one thing standing in our way to turning this into a 100 million dollar business and so yeah. economically we also felt like it made sense we had the right scale the market was big enough it was it was a there was investor appetite so like all of the fundamentals of why you take venture money were there and then our personal reason of knowing this was going to take a while to get off the ground and just needing to like to make money it was a good trade for us to be able to have some security have a salary raise some equity capital and you know sell a bit of the business but also have capital in the business to scale growth. And so it's worked out really well for us. We've also had incredible partners to work with on the, on the capital side, and that's made all the difference.
0: On that side of things. So with raising venture capital, you mentioned the things around like YouTube and TikTok and just different things. So when you raise capital, was that going mostly toward, like, what was that going towards in terms of use of funds? Was it hiring to help you do some of those growth initiatives? Like, was it just literally having capital to buy more product? I was just tell me what that even went towards.
1: For our seed round, which was led by Selva Ventures and a great mm-hmm. consumer investor named Kiva Dickinson, um, that round was more about giving us r- more runway to get our products in market, yep. start hiring a team. Uh, you know, we had before we started talking to Kiva, we were at four employees, and so you know, we needed more more people. Yeah. But really, it was just about you know, hey. You know, the products aren't quite in market yet. We need more time before the Series A to get products in market, be able yeah. to invest in marketing. So that round really came down to product and, and marketing. Yeah. Um.
0: Well, when was that? What year was that?
1: Roughly? That was in kind of end of 2020. Okay. Early 2021 is when we closed that round. And gotcha. so- I think the original plan was Series A, but the R&D took so long. We had great traction, but it just was like we weren't ready for the big Series A. And yeah. Kiva's a great seed Series A investor, so he was really comfortable with our stage. And he really spent a lot of time with us understanding the vision and where we were going. And I know... You know, he was super pumped to to invest in that round. So we did a convertible note, and that was enough to kind of power us through, get everything in market, let our vision kind of come to life a bit more before we, uh, before we raised the Series A, which we ended up closing later on in twenty twenty one.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that's good for for context and thinking about that. And I'm always curious on what people do to use that. And being at a venture firm now, we same thing now.
1: But then the the money for the Series A was a little bit different because you know we. We only ended up hiring one full time person over the course of 2021, so we were at a team of five. And when so we started working with Kavu Ventures, who's another like great uh, consumer fund. Uh, We work with Jared Jacobs really closely. He's been an awesome partner. Uh, Brett uh, is on Brett Thomas is on our board. They've been an incredible partner to us. But when we were in diligence, you know, Brett was like, "Where's the team?" He's like,
0: where's the rest? You gotta <laughs> hire some. Yeah, you, you're doing all this with
1: five people. You know, impressive. And and so when when we you know closed the deal with them, one of our strategic priorities for the year was we got to hire a team. And so um, and Kavu is very passionate about brand and marketing and investment. And so you know we you know most of you know our Series A has been allocated towards building a brand with the capital B and hiring the team. Right, and yeah. so that's their expertise. They've been a huge help in, in doing that. You know, I got these late night uh, phone calls with my guy Jared on the west coast, just strategy sessions, and we're <laughs> constantly talking about brand and hiring. And so we've we've more than tripled the team in the last year, um, which we're super excited about. Um, I'm in like a our fulfillment center. We we now have like a three PL to do our fulfillment. So we're moving up. We've used that money to just scale. You know, uh, we call it building the factory. But how do we how do we you know turn this into an, an automated business create roles processes systems and that's been a big focus for us this year
0: yeah all the all the scaling things. I just talked to a founder, uh, yesterday on the podcast as well, who is, uh, they just raised a series B recently and like they did a whole big rebrand, hired a big fancy agency. Uh, and like, it looks amazing, but like I can tell it's like, oh yeah, you got that series B money now. I see what you're doing. It's a whole different ball game. <laughs> I should
1: say, you know, so Kavu, Kavu helped us with the rebrand. So that was one great thing about working with Kavu That's is clutch. they, um, they come with, you know, they have their in-house team. Stevie Clement is, uh, their, you know, chief brand strategist and has worked with Rohan and Brett for a long time. She's an incredibly gifted, you know, brand person. And so she's, you know, spearheaded the, you know, I won't call it a full rebrand. It'll still look and feel like Native Pet, but modernizing the brand, modernizing the packaging, getting us ready for retail. Stevie worked with our marketing lead, Ashley, very closely, and they've crushed it. That's going to launch in January, Uh, kind of the new look and feel of Native Pet. and We're super stoked with how it turned out.
0: So with launching Native Pet in 2017, so we're recording this at the end of 2022, so it's been like five plus years or so. Just take me through how the industry has evolved since you started, what you've seen. I mean, I, I love the saying, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. I think Pet has gotten a lot bigger from the outside. It seems like, just take me through the, the changes, the evolutions, anything you've seen in the industry.
1: Yeah, I heard this like really, I I love it. It's pretty cheesy, but I, and I'm, I'm I wish I wish I could remember so I could attribute it to the right person, but it was you know they called it like the surfer and the wave, where it's like entrepreneurship is like surfing a wave, and I'm not a surfer. I live in St. Louis, to be very clear. I wish I was that <laughs> cool, but I like there's definitely no surfing happening here. But you know the 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 surfboard is your business idea, right? And so you need a good surfboard to ride the wave you know as an entrepreneur you're the surfer like it takes some skill and some grit and some you know muscle to be able to like get up on a surfboard and ride the wave and you got to be ready to go but ultimately if there's no wave you're not going surfing no matter if you have the best surfer in the world and the best surfboard in the world you need a wave and the market and the category is your wave and we've been very fortunate that i think we have one of the most powerful waves that we're riding in consumer products which is the pet category and then we're in the fastest growing subcategory within pet it's still really small in the grand scheme of things but supplements and this kind of beyond the bowl nutrition has just absolutely exploded in the last few years and if you really think about it it makes a ton of sense right because what what's happened in human is there's this movement towards food as medicine and using food more as utility to improve the health and wellness. And there's so much more awareness and consciousness about what we're eating and why and how it affects me personally, not myself as a human, but me as Dan, what does this food do to me? And it's gonna be totally different than what it's gonna do to Justin. And that awareness has really changed the, the human side of the fence, but supplements are still huge and very important in humans, but kind of less important because Justin, if you want more fiber, you can just change your diet. You can say I'm just gonna have I'm gonna have uh, broccoli for dinner tonight, or I'm gonna have uh, you know rice and beans. I'm not gonna have red meat and pasta, right? Like you you have so much choice in what you eat during your meals, and you can use that to modify your diet. You don't need to rely on only supplements to do that. Contrast that to the pet category where. Pets are fed kibble, which is basically, they call it complete nutrition, but it's the lowest common denominator of the nutrient profile that every dog needs. Not what one specific dog might need, but you don't get to modify their diet. You know, some people do, like it's a very small minority. You're feeding them the same thing every day, and it's just a base nutrition. Supplements are actually your only real opportunity to customize their diet. And so if you believe that this food is medicine and customization and personalization is a, a macro trend in in human which I think you know most people do then you should be extra bullish about its potential to be a macro trend in the pet category. And we've in the growth is 20% year over year and so what we're seeing is people are coming to realize that kibble is great but your unique dog will need unique things to help them survive and thrive. And so yeah. The the trend is more customization. It's really, really hard to customize kibble. There are plenty of business ideas in, in the graveyard of you know kibble, customized kibble manufacturers. You know, nom, nom and a lot of these, you know, cold chain deliveries have done a nice job and those are great businesses, but that's still a relatively small piece of the category. Our wow. point of view is that you know the mainstream consumer is going to stick with kibble. And they're going to look to customize and personalize in other ways. And we think supplements are perfectly positioned to be there. And so if you couple that with the macro trend, with adoptions during COVID and and what's happening mm. in our society with dogs and the role pets play in our lives, you get this swirl. And that's where I think we're riding a really, really big wave. And I think the wave hasn't even really started. It definitely hasn't crested yet. Right. So we're, I think we're in the early days of what's going to be a big macro wave in the category. And we're, we're excited to be, you know, a few of the early surfers in the, in the space.
0: I love that. And uh, on that similar note, what's next for Native Pet? What can customers be excited about as well?
1: Well, we got the rebrand coming. I think it's going to look amazing. Um, And um, we've spent a lot of time on there. It, it's, it's modern, it's colorful, it's cool. Mm-hmm. You still got the same classic illustration, same blue, you got the dog, so it's going to look badass. Um, yeah, and it. so we're excited to get that. We're always innovating on new products. And so we got a new super supplement launching on Amazon and Chewy in January, then on our D2C site and Target in March called The Daily. It's going to be all the best ingredients you could ever want in the supplement um, all in one easy scoop for your dog and that you can just scoop over kibble and it'll get their day started off. Right. It's like an athletic greens for dogs, but on steroids. So we're calling it our our daily super supplement and we're pumped about that. A couple other, you know, exciting new products, um, come in and then, you know, we're always taking a look at what's like the next big thing. So we're looking at the cat space. We're excited about cat. You know, we don't discriminate dogs, cats. We love them. (laughs) So, you know, we're looking there and, you know there will be some 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 big new product announcements coming from Native Pet in uh, in 2023 for sure.
0: Perfect, Dan. Where's the best place for people to learn more about Native Pet and connect with you if they would like to as well?
1: We don't discriminate <clears throat> channel either. So NativePet.com <laughs> is a great platform. Check us out there. If you want to buy us on Amazon, Chewy, or Target, please do. Those are our our, our core four. You can also find us on Thrive Market, and so we are. You know, come to our website, learn, and then just shop wherever's convenient for you any channel is great, and we just would appreciate your support. and We hope you love the product.
0: If any founders want to reach out, how should they connect with you?
1: yeah so i, I chat with founders all the time. um I would love to be an angel investor, but I have no money, so i don't <laughs> i I can't angel invest yet hopefully someday good, good context um yeah so uh <laughs> if if I can be a thought partner on uh, anything product innovation related, Amazon related company building team building always happy to chat uh just dan at native pet.com feel free to reach out direct
0: awesome thanks for time dan appreciate it man awesome justin appreciate it it's just fun thank you so much for listening to this episode of just go grind if you want to follow along on the socials for all things just go grind and with me as well you can find just go grind on instagram and twitter at just go grind you can find me on twitter at justin gordon 212 find me on instagram justin gordon 8 thank you so much for listening Have a great day.